Welcome to People Data Insights. This is your host, Paul Ryman. Thanks for joining today. Today, I'm going to be joined by Greg Roche. Uh, Greg has two sides of his professional life. So he's a VP of compensation at a large healthcare company and has spent the last 25 years of his professional life working in the healthcare consulting and other spaces. But he also um, is known for his networking. He helps introverts grow their networks without going to networking events. He's the author of the Fast and Easy Guide to Networking for Introverts. He posts every weekday on LinkedIn about networking, and he recently launched the Introverted Networker, uh, which is his weekly newsletter that delivers one networking tip to your inbox every Saturday morning. I find Greg to be one of the more thoughtful, insightful, and curious members of the, of the people community, so I'm really excited to have this conversation with him. Um, we're going to be exploring a few different concepts, but we're really going to focus a lot on attrition and how do employees think and act in the moments leading up to departing a company. I have some passion on that topic, as does Greg. So we spend a lot of time talking about that, among other things. So here you go. Hi, Greg. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Well, why don't we start? Why don't you tell us what you do? I am a vice president of compensation for United Health Group. That's the day job, the thing that uh, takes the most time and, and also provides the most money. But at the same time, I've got a lot of other projects I work on. I have um, a newsletter called The Introverted Networker, where I give tips on how to be a better networker. And also, um, I've written a book, The Fast and Easy Guide to Networking for Introverts, which, as you can tell, I, I have a passion for helping introverts get to be better networkers. So between those two things, I, I stay pretty busy um, and you know, live in Denver. I've got uh, family, so plenty of things going on, plenty of activities, and dabbling in, in new things all the time as my curiosity drives me. Love it. Uh, and we'll definitely talk about, I think, both sides of, of that intro to an extent. You know, certainly our shared career space and rewards is uh, where we've kind of gotten to know each other. Mm -hmm. um, but absolutely, we'll, we'll touch on your passion around networking and uh, where people can find and connect to that, especially this day and age with so many looking for new opportunities. I think uh, networking yeah. plays a role. So we'll come back to that for sure. Great. Um, to start, let's just uh, let's help the audience get to know you a little bit. So I've got a little bit of a game. Um, this is what I'm hearing freaks guests out the most is they don't know what's going to happen. Um, so I'm just going to give you a handful of choices. It's a this thing or a that thing. And you tell me what you prefer and we'll get to know you as a result. They're, they're, they're pretty easy, I promise. Okay. Um, right. So here we go. So I'll go quick on the first few and I'll stop you if there's one that's fascinating. Uh, Mac or PC? PC. Night owl or early bird? Early bird. Yeah, I knew that because you're uh, you are uh, right on the six a.m. post uh, <laughs> on every day. That's for sure. <laughs> so I figured that would be the case. Oh. Um, guacamole or salsa? Salsa. Ah, I can't go there. Um, if you could have a time machine or a magic wand, which would it be? Time machine. And it, given that you said time machine, are you going to the future? Or are you going to the past? To the past. With, with an agenda? Like, is there a year, no. an era? I just would like to see what it was really like. I mean, I think we like we, we don't have a whole lot other than what we read, which is somebody else's interpretation of it. So would be more interested to, to see what it was really like. Totally. I uh that this will be on the, uh, a prior episode by the time people hear it, but it, it blows me away that right now, if Back to the Future was filmed again now, we'd be going back to the 90s, um, mm -hmm. which makes me feel old <laughs> in so many ways. <laughs> Doesn't feel yeah. like it's that. Like, I know what the 90s were like. I don't need right. a time machine for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, be funny or be good looking? And yes, you have to pick one. Uh, be funny. I think uh, looks looks go away, but if you're funny, you know you can be funny and and totally and still uh, be attractive. I think there you go. Especially coming from a guy who does an audio only podcast, I think it says <laughs> you something about how I feel about looks, right? <laughs> uh, read a book or watch a movie. Read a book. Yeah. Um, you're in Colorado, so you probably have a bias here, but uh, beach, golf, or ski? Ski. 
I definitely yeah, right. have the Colorado bias there. Um, you fit the brand. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I I mean, the beach is good. It's okay. My wife likes going to the beach. I just don't get as much enjoyment from the beach as I get from skiing. Yeah, and golf is just frustrating. <laughs> you have to enjoy a little bit of banging your head against the wall to be a golfer. Uh, my wife and I, we pick vacation destinations where you have beach and golf so that mm-hmm. she can not have to play golf and I can not have to sit on the beach. There you go. All right. <laughs> but, all right. Last one. You've got a, a presentation or a, a deliverable due on Thursday morning. Is it done on Tuesday with the data sort of marinating on it or are you finishing it on Wednesday night? Uh, Tuesday. Yeah, you're a you're a work aheader. Well, I, it just it's likely to change. I get that, but I'd rather have something for people to react to instead of just going going cold. Now that's what I want to do. Does that yeah. always happen? <laughs> no, not necessarily. So there we go. I guess it's there's an aspirational answer. Yeah, and there's reality. <laughs> That's right. I find that sometimes my best work is when I'm up against the the deadlines. So it's sometimes I just choose to let it fall. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, that's you know just to get to know you a little mm-hmm. bit, lighten the tone a little bit. Um, two other quick questions, just to frame who you are, and it's things that you know I've asked every guest so far in the podcast. On a scale of one to ten, how much do you love data? Ten being like the data freak. I would say I'm going to say nine. I, I really like data. And the only reason I'm not giving it is 10 is because sometimes it becomes religious or a weapon. And, and, mm. and the, the times, I guess that's not the data's fault, but it, um, it tends to be something where people are like, no, this is what the data says. And the data can say a lot of things, even though it's, numbers and metrics and things like that, it doesn't necessarily mean it's completely Mm. objective. And that, so that's the only reason why I would give it a a nine and not a 10. No, that's a good one. Um, Yeah, I think I've had to learn over my career to not be a 10 at times, right? I think uh, we want the data to tell us a story, but if you just beat people over the head with it, you run into trouble. Yeah. Um, and when did you fall in love with data? Like what was your, what's your data story? Is this a lifelong passion? Did you learn late in life? Uh, l- later in life, I mean, earlier in my career, but I would say later in life, just because I, I wasn't in, I wasn't in a field or I wasn't, I didn't study, a, a ba- a, an area that required a lot of data. When I got into some project management work at a company called AIMCO back in the early 2000s. I was an operations project manager and we did some Six Sigma training at the company and was exposed to, you know, all of that approach. And, Mm -hmm. you know, speaking of, you know, religions and things like that, uh, it, but it was good for me to go, okay, here's the way in which you can use data and information to demonstrate where there might be an opportunity Mm -hmm. for improvement. And through that, exposure kind of grew into understanding reporting and analytics and all those kind of things. And that's actually what led me to get into HR. I moved over from that operations role into an HR role and was in charge of the HR analytics and the HRIS system and and got way more into the data uh, and reporting from that. And then over my career grew into the other functions like performance management, uh, comp and benefits and, you know, ultimately what led me here. So, you know, I, I always, I, I kind of say I came up in HR up through the data and mm. up through the, the analytics. That was my, my path in and then landed in, in the comp and benefits space, most recently comp. And what you find, you know, there's a lot of numbers in comp, a lot of analytics, a lot of data, but then there's a lot more to it than that as well, right? There's, yeah. there's how do you, how do you implement it? How do you leverage people's sort of behavioral tendencies and how do you understand how people are going to react to that data, to those numbers and what drives people and motivates people? So it's a, it's a very, you know, it, it's grown into a, a, a lot more than just, you know, numbers on the spreadsheet. Sure. 
sure. I'm still looking for that unicorn who grew up wanting to be in HR. It seems like everybody has this story of like, oh yeah, that's how I ended up in HR. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Never is like, a choice. Accident. I, I ended up there on accident. Um, that's right. I used to say, uh, nobody chooses compensation. Compensation yeah. chooses you. Um, there you go. There definitely you go. true. Yeah. Yep. Although I was talking to somebody I was talking to earlier, earlier conversation, he was telling me he has somebody actually that works on his team that does love writing job descriptions. Like that's something she loves to do. And I was like, that's the only person I've ever heard of in my entire <laughs> career that there's somebody that exists that loves writing job descriptions. Um, but Hey, you know, Hey, if you end up being the best thing. at, that's right. Anybody who's the best in the world at anything uh, can make a career yeah. out of it for sure. Yeah. So, so I, I think you might be the only person that I know personally who's had a viral experience. And I don't mean getting the flu. I mean, going <laughs> viral. Um, so a few years ago, you went viral. You had a, a, a post with, I think at last I saw, it still grows, of course, because people still stumble acro across it, but about 30,000 interactions or something like that. Um, on a blog post. So before we jump into the content of it, first I want to know, like, what it, what does it feel like to see those notifications or that, you know, number dinging up? Like, what does it feel like to to go viral? It's probably not as special as you make it out in your head to be. <laughs> um, so it was it was it was like three and a half years ago. So it was August of 2019, and we, we can get into what it was about, but just. I posted on LinkedIn. It was a LinkedIn article back when you could put articles on LinkedIn and they got read. Now the, pretty much you can write an article and nobody's going to see it. But at that time, articles were still a thing on LinkedIn. And, and I posted this, I think I posted it on a Friday morning and I just kind of put it out there and I was like, okay, whatever. I, I had posted other stuff on LinkedIn and, and I didn't have a really big following or anything. And then over the weekend, I, I was logged in and I went to my LinkedIn and I had all of these notifications and they were people liking and commenting on this post. And the strange thing was they were all in Australia. <laughs> I, and I was like, I don't know what's going on. There's all these people from Australia. And then over the weekend it kept going and I went and looked at the stats and it was like, you know, 50,000 people. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Wow. Amazing. Right. And on views. Right. And, and I'm yeah. getting all these comments and I was trying to be really conscious about responding to all the comments. And, and by like Sunday, I was like up over like a hundred K views. And I had like, like 500 comments or something. I was like, oh my God, look, what is going on? And then, and then by the rest, then the rest of the week, it continued on. And I think, I think now, of course it's 3 million, it's, it's, it's three years later, but it's, I think it's like over 3 million views. It's like 25,000 likes or responses and almost yeah. like 3,000 3, comments. Obviously I stopped responding to the comments. <laughs> the only thing I can figure out is I think what I've heard is LinkedIn has an algorithm that says like, is this good or not? And if it's good, there are actually like human editors that look at stuff. And the only thing I can think is like a human editor saw that and like pushed it. Like to more, you got a boost. You got, got a boost. boost. Like, that's the yeah. only thing I can figure out. And, and it was, it was cool. I mean, so, so some of the weird stuff that happened with that, cause you're asking, um, I got asked to, to talk about it in some other places. I got, I've been asked about it on other podcasts. I had the, probably the strangest thing. Uh, and this is, this is more about the content is I had a school teacher from Florida who messaged me and said, I would like your permission to read this at the next school board meeting. And he did. And then he sent me a link to him reading my article at the school board meeting in Florida. And I was like, I could, I was like, okay, sounds good, man. I mean, go for it. But that was kind of, that was the weirdest thing to think that there's these random people in these random situations out in the world that are taking my words and reading them to other people. So beyond like the digital wow. part of it going like, here's my stats. It's kind of like you think, you know, if somebody wrote like a, a famous speech or something, right. And then that speech gets read, their words get read yeah. all the time. So, so that was kind of the weirdest experience I had with that. Um, but it was, it was cool for the time that it lasted. And the problem with it is like, I can't tell you why 
and I don't know if I'll ever do it again. So that's the disappointing thing about going viral is you're like, I'm not sure I could do it again. And that's kind of a bummer. So (laughs) you, you have the fun with it and then you go, okay, I'll just go back to what I was doing before and see if it ever happens again. Totally. Well, I, so I could say, I remember reading it in its, you know, early vintage, not like, oh my gosh, this has gone viral. You have to see it. But as it was posted, because I think we had met and connected not long before that, Mm -hmm. um, I, I have to think some of it is quality of content matters, um, you know, because I know it hit me in, a, in an important spot that we'll talk about here shortly. Um, and then, it, you know, how it grows is the question we can't yeah. answer. But certainly it got attention because of the quality of the idea. So let's let's talk about the idea. Right. So give us I'm sure you've been asked by dozens of people probably this question. Like, Give us what is it? What, what was it about and, and what where did it come from? It, it came from the idea that. Well, and, and being in compensation. So, so let me just kind of tell you how I, I think about it and what I had been thinking about, but I couldn't find a way to articulate it until, and I actually just stumbled across the concept that brought it together. We often, and this kind of goes to what you've been working on lately, we look at people leaving our organization on the day they leave and we go, okay, well, what happened? And in compensation, usually you're, you're the person that, the manager or the HR person comes to and says like, oh my gosh, this person's leaving. We can't function without them. Help us come up with a counter offer or retention agreement and a retention bonus. And you go, okay. And so you see that all the time. And we all know that you do the counter and they either don't take it or they leave later, or, you know, it, it doesn't really fix the real problem that caused them to leave in the first place. And I had been thinking about, okay, if you were to back up, if you were to say, the day I accepted that job was a happy day for me, and I went in and told my boss I was resigning, but what happened before I accepted the job? Well, I had to get the offer for the job. But before I got the offer from the job, I had to do some interviews with a bunch of people for them to decide to give me the offer. But to do the interviews, I had to talk to a recruiter, or I had to do something to get the interviews. And to get to that point with the recruiter, I probably either applied or they reached out to me and I had to make a decision to move forward in that process. And there was something happening on that day when I made that decision that made me say, yeah, let's check it out. It's not just like suddenly somebody called me up one day and said, hey, we want to offer you a job. Like this is a journey. Like there's a long process on this. Right. It doesn't just happen regardless. And, and I'm sure you heard this over your career all the time. People would say, well, this person's amazing and they get offers every day from recruiters. I was like, no, they don't. Recruiters never call up and offer you the job on the spot. And they certainly don't tell you what they're going to pay you on the spot. It just doesn't happen that way. Now they might get calls. They might get voicemails. But on that particular day, they're like, ah, eh, I'm, I'm good with my job. I'm not going to call them back. Mm-hmm. So what's happening on that day? And so I was just kind of trying to think about like, how do you get to that day? And I was thinking about my own personal, how I feel some of those days or having my career felt on those days when I think to myself, if a recruiter called me today about a new job, I would probably talk to them. And I don't feel like that every day, but there's been days in my career where I'm like, I, if, if somebody said, Hey, let's talk about this, I'd say, absolutely, let's do it. And I may or may not get the job, but I would take the call. So that feeling is something I was trying to capture. And and the the way I came across it is I was at a, a company event and actually my leader, my boss was talking about her daughter going to dancing. And she had been dancing as a kid and she was just kind of burnt out on it. And she was telling the story of her daughter said, mom, I'm at the line. I'm at the place where I'm ready to quit. And so that concept of, I was like, oh, that's it. That's, that's the feeling. Like she's talking about dancing, but in our jobs, we get to a point where we're pushed to the line where we're ready to step across it and explore something new. And so the article I wrote was called what happens right before your best employee quits. But it kind of has become known as the line, the article, the the line article, right? Because what I said in that article was imagine your employees standing at a white line out in the parking lot of your office and they're thinking about crossing the line, meaning they're, they're going to step into something new and it may or may not be better, 
but it doesn't really matter because they're at that point where just one little push or one more thing is going to make them take that step and start talking to that recruiter and eventually end up at that place where they come back and say, I'm leaving. And that, that feeling, whatever I said, and, and I can't tell you, like I worked months on this. I used to take the, the light rail here in Denver, downtown. I live in the South suburbs. It's about a 30 minute train ride. And I used to ride on the train every morning. And on one morning I was like, pounding away at this and crank this one out. And I did some editing and stuff. And I was like, that's mm. it. Right. B because it was this thing I'd been mulling over and thinking, and this one concept kind of brought it all together. So it was really easy for me to paint this picture of what it feels like as an employee to be at the line. And I think that's what connected with people because everybody in their career is like, I have felt that. And mm. some of the messages I got were I'm there now. I'm at that point now, or I was at that point two months ago and I just got a new job and it's made all the difference. Everybody's felt that. And, and we've all gotten pushed to the point where we're ready to do something else. And so that was, that I think is what connected with people so much. They're like, I totally know how that feels. Yep. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I was in one of those moments, you know, when I read it too. And I think one of the misconceptions that it helped paint the picture around is the the line isn't like the moment they actually resign, mm -hmm. right? Like that, and I think that's what it crystallized for folks is you cross the line and then you go through the process of exploring mm -hmm. what's next, mm -hmm. whatever that means for that, yep. for that human. Um, you know, the line is the emotional decision to mm -hmm. move forward. Right. Um, and you, I think you created that concept that mm -hmm. it, it's, <laughs> it's different than when you actually hand in the resignation, accept the other offer, whatever the transactional yeah. side is. Yeah. Two different points of time. Well, well, and, and so to bring it today and to like use one of these terms that we're all sick of hearing, right? It's almost that time when you do the quiet quitting, right? When the mm. people are like, even if you don't get a new job or you get it later, at some point you're like, I'm, I'm just not going to do anymore. I'm, I'm beyond it. I've stepped across the line. Maybe I'm looking, maybe I'm successful at looking or it's taking a long time, but that's the point where you're like, I've, I've hit the line and I'm going to quiet quit or whatever it's called. And I'm not going to give you any more effort, but, but it is that time. And I think that goes to when we're talking about burnout today and people dealing with that and stuff, it's like, what can you do as a manager or a leader to help your team step back from the line? Yeah. What, how do you move somebody back? And, and again, I, I purposely said a line and not like a cliff. Cause this isn't something you like, <laughs> I jump off of and I'm just going to, you know, um, uh, I'm just gonna, you know, fall to my death. Right. Or I'm, you know, it's not that there's no going back. Right. So that's the, that's the point is you can, and I, I've felt this too. You can be at a point where you're like, I'm at the line and then something happens at work and you can pull yourself back and you, you may not necessarily leave. And, and in my case, a lot of times it's been conversations with my boss or a leader or somebody else about what's going on and what we can do to address those things. And I just think that's the point where leaders aren't thinking about it that way. Mm. And they're either, they either don't know how to approach it or they don't know the words to say, they don't know how to frame it because it's really scary for your boss to come and be like, Hey, tell me if something's wrong. And, and that's, that's a hard thing for people to trust and say like, well, if I tell you I'm not happy, are you going to like not mm. give me a promotion or not give me as big of a bonus? Like it's, it's hard to do that. But if you create this environment where you're like, Hey, look, here's this concept, this idea of the line. And we all have been there. We've all felt this. I want you to tell me when you're there. Right. I, I want you. And, and of course, you've got to be a leader that's created some psychological safety. You can't just be, you know, sure. somebody who's a jerk that doesn't pay attention to anything like that's not going to work. But if you are a leader who's like worked with your team, you have some trust in your team and you're just like, I'm not sure how to talk about this. This concept of the line is a good way to say, like, this is what I'm talking about. This is how it feels. You probably know. And when you're there, I need you to come and be like, just say, I'm at the line. It's, it's like I'm at the line. OK, let's talk. Let's talk about what's pushed you there. Let's talk about what's got you there. Now let's talk about what we can do. Because a lot of times as, as individuals working on a team, we just get overwhelmed and we're not sure what's the top priority, what can be done later, you know, yep. what, 
what should what should we be doing? It feels like everybody's asking for everything all at once. And if you have a manager or leader who says like, let me help you sort that out. Like, let's focus. I want you to just focus on these. I'll give you the cover on all the other ones. Let's right. let's get you feeling a little better. Let's get you back off that line so that you're not taking that call from the recruiter, so that you're not going online and searching for your ideal job. And and um, you know, let's see what we can do. So yeah, my hope. I mean, I and you know, how how do you do anything with that? I don't know. You come on podcasts and talk to people about it. You you write articles. You kind of reshare it. Like people will see that and go, oh oh, here's a good way to address this. Here's another way to solve this problem. Here's a concept that people can maybe latch on to that will help them have these conversations more constructively um, within their teams. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I'd be curious on your your thoughts too, as I've been thinking a lot about sort of employee decisions to leave and the exit handling and how we learn from that. You know, I'm starting to see, a, you know, a concept here too about making sure we understand the difference between what's pushing you towards the line. And I, I frame it that way as like the things that are in your current environment that you're frustrated with, you're concerned about, and kind of pull factors. So what you see, because you can always see over the line, right? That's the recruiter call concept. Like somebody's going to try to entice me about the promised land, um, but it might not pull me over. I can see it, (laughs) but sometimes it'll pull me closer um, because it is enticing, you know, versus something that might push me closer because I'm frustrated Um, I guess, does that resonate with you? Do you see it that way? Or would you frame that a little differently? Is it all, well, certainly part of the concept? No, I can, I can see that. And, and I think if you're open that some people might be open to take every call because they're like, I never know who knows it could be the best opportunity ever. And I'm open to everything. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's more when you're starting to get that pull okay, but they're going to have to pull really hard to pull you out mm. if there's nothing else wrong. Because sure. you're going from a place of what you know in your current role to a place of what you don't know, no matter what the recruiter says, no matter what the pay package looks like and the benefits and all the, the things like that. You don't really know if it's going to be a good fit or, or not. But if you're being pushed by stuff where you're like, I know I don't like this, then it doesn't take as much to pull you. It's a whole yep. lot less of a pull if there's already something you know pushing you from behind. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, um, if 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 memory serves me correctly, and I'm pretty sure it does, the the day that I read this was one of those like I was I was on the road. I wasn't home. Um, I have small children, and got a, got a call from my wife about you know, gosh, this is frustrating that you're not here, right? So that's, you know, the the push towards the line wasn't, it was just where I physically was, right? I, I And it was apparent to me that, you know, there's stress on my family with me not being around. And that mm-hmm. made me ready to take a call. It did. Like when it came in, oh, that's a local company. You know, mm-hmm. the circumstances, you know, I was pushed towards the line and there happened to be somebody mm-hmm. right on the other side that magically right. at the same time was ready to pull, Yep. At the same time, right? It, it, in itself, you know, I might not have, I might have been pulled back from that line right. if the if the timing had been different. But you know, the yeah. opportunity for a transaction occurred because I was pushed and I was pulled, kind of magically exactly. within you know a week of each other, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you and right that part of the transaction, you've got to have the buyer, you've got to have the seller, you've got to have the willingness on both sides. Yep. In order for it to happen. And if there's no, if there's a buyer, you, you, this, you, you, the job seeker being the seller selling your skills and experience to the buyer, the new employer. Yeah. Of course, if there's no buyer, then you're, you're, you know, sitting there posting, like I get ghosted by recruiters and nobody wants to hire me and all those kind of things. You're feeling very much like, you know, Hey, I've I've got services that nobody wants, but I think that it, there does have to be a little bit of serendipity there, right? But at the same time, if you're at that point where you're ready to leave, that's when you start searching for new jobs. That's when you yeah. start going like, these are the companies I want to look at. And, and, and you know, getting into the networking piece of this, right? If, you, if you're at that point, you're, you're going out and you're starting to connect with people and you're starting to be like, hey, this is a company I'm interested in. What's it like to work there? You're creating the opportunity for that buyer to emerge. 
Um, mm-hmm. But if, because, you know, again, there's not always a buyer reaching out to you, but if you're not doing that because you're happy with what you're doing and your team and your job and everything is, is good enough for you to not be at the line, then, then it is a lot harder to put that transaction together between the buyer and the seller. Um, yeah. So I would say, you know, those people at the line, those sellers, they, they are starting to create those opportunities to, to get that buyer to emerge. Yeah. One thing, uh, yeah, and I, I raised the example in part because, you know, the serendipity is what makes it happen quickly, right? Like if you're at the line and you're able to then cross over, that that requires a, a counterparty to the hiring transaction for, for you to leave or for you to go. You could choose to go without that, I suppose. But um, but there is an opportunity to, to pull back, right? Uh, it's not, it is not an instantaneous thing in most circumstances. And, um, you know, I think that's where... This, the, the the concept that you raise around, well, how do you make it safe to share that? Because it's not like they're immediately going to leave. Mm-hmm. And right. that gives an organization an opportunity or a manager an opportunity to yeah. figure out, well, what pushed mm-hmm. you there? How do we pull you back? You know, is well, there a different way we can work together? Is there a different project yeah. you could be on? Is there something I can do, whatever, to... Uh, yeah you know, to pull you back a little bit. And that might save the, you know, it moves you away from the serendipity of there being yeah. a buyer ready to go. Well, to and, and so I think, so my own experience, my own personal experience with this a couple of jobs ago, I was in a, a role that, um, the, the role's good. I mean, the team was was decent. The, the company was decent. Um, my boss and I were like polar opposites. And that doesn't mean, he was bad and I was good. We were just opposites. And so that was something that, um, you know, my, my role in that was I didn't do a really good job in the interview process to vet how we were going to work together. I was just like, yay, a different job. And somebody really likes me and they want me to be, be on the team. Um, and so I had kind of been at the line for a long time. I wasn't sort of like going out to interviews all the time, but but I was like, this is not a long-term thing for me. And I didn't, this was before I even thought of this or even wrote this article or anything. This was predated all that. I didn't go to him. I didn't feel like I could go to my boss and be like, hey, look, this just isn't working. I don't know why we don't get along or why we don't see eye to eye and why it feels like friction all the time. But um, I don't know if that would have changed it. But the point was I had gotten to that. I was there. And all of a sudden, somebody I'd worked with in the past gave me a call and said, we got an open role. Are you interested? Well, of course, I'd been interested for months. Like I jumped at it. I was like, let's do it. And like, it took like a couple of weeks to go through the interview process and get the offer. I mean, it wasn't long. So yes, it makes it go a lot faster. But if you're already there, to that point, I was being pushed so hard, like that pull, Mm. all it was, it was like one phone call. And I was like, yep, sounds good. Like at that point, I would have, I would have, I mean, I wouldn't have taken any job, but I mean, I was, I was certainly open. And, and so, you know, it, it, it was a quick new opportunity. So, I mean, that's my own personal experience with it before I even knew of, had thought of this whole concept, but but I had felt that and I'd been in that position before. And so that's, that's what I was trying to kind of bring up and, and put forward in that, that post. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, so it, let, that kind of defines what it is, right. With some personal examples about, you know, getting to the line, you know, what does it look like to move over the line? Mm-hmm. Now, the question then is what do we do about it? Right. So how do we in the, in the world of HR, what can we be doing differently? Whether that's, you know, I think there's some things that we've already touched on to an extent, which is how do we work through managers on that sort of making it safe to have the conversation, you know, but what other implications are there? Are there there things that you see that we are kind of getting wrong today or that we need to think about differently through the exit process given this concept? Yeah. I mean, just starting back at the giving people a framework and a language or script to, to use, to, to frame this concept up and make it a, a thing that we can talk about that doesn't mean I'm quitting, right? Just because I'm at the line is, is more of a, like saying I'm at the line is, is almost that plea for help. Like I need help. I, uh, you got to help me figure this out because I'm going to take that phone call. This is not a threat. This is not me. Um, I'm telling you this because I want you to work with me to try to back me off the line. Um, 
I think as, as thinking about when people leave, we need to be having the conversation with the managers who have people leaving and go, let's find a, let's talk that this wasn't the day they resigned that there was a problem. Mm. You know, if, if, if you're surprised by this, um, then there was something you missed along the way, along the way. And, and look, I've had plenty of people resign on me. Um, and some of them I was like, oh, I'm not shocked. And some of them I was like, oh my gosh, I never saw that one coming. So yeah, I missed some stuff. So I'm, I'm not perfect. I mean, you know, I didn't sure. know what was going on. Uh, but I think it's, it's having managers really acknowledge that instead of, as you and I know, in comp, they go, well, they got paid more. Well, that's an easy answer. Of course they got paid more because talking about that journey, if you get to the end of the journey of interviewing and getting an offering, it's less, well, you're probably not even going to bring it up. You're still going to be at the line, but you're not going to leave. You haven't solved right. the problem. Right. But nobody comes in and goes, I got an offer for less money and I'm leaving. I mean, I guess some people do. And that's when you really know you have a problem. Like I'll take a pay cut to get out of this situation. But most people are like, they got more money and it's an easy thing for any, for um, right. a manager. But the questions we need to be asking, right. Aren't like, why are you leaving? It's let's walk back through that journey and let's try to get back to that moment. Like you had the moment. Like if somebody were to ask you, what was that moment when you were like, I'm going to do something different? It was that call from your wife. And probably right. not everybody has the same like vivid memory that you have of it, maybe. But like you, if you walk back to that and go like, what was the point in time and what was going on around you and who had asked you to do one more thing? Or what was the email that got you over the edge? Like, what was that? And have that conversation and then what were the, what were the circumstances? Is it too much work? Is it uncooperative partners? Is it, you don't like your team? Is it, you don't like your boss? Like, let's yep. walk to that section of it instead of giving them a list of reasons why they're leaving better benefits, better pay, better job opportunity, all those things, you know, let's not, let's get away from that menu of things and let's like right. walk back through it with them to try to identify what was going on that day. Yeah. I, and even if it's, you know, well, one, I fully agree, like separating the what does your new world look like and how does it compare mm -hmm. from the why or how did you feel about your current? They're, they're two different mm -hmm. things to understand. Mm -hmm. um, I personally believe you different tools even to understand those things. But I think that it may not be just a moment, but focusing on what got you, you know, what was pushing you, right? Even in my last change, when I made the decision to found my own company, you know, some of it was just, you know, I didn't re it wasn't a moment, but it was a moment where somebody made me realize the cumulative nature of, hey, what's your favorite part about your day? And I, and I really didn't know how to answer the question, <laughs> right? Because I was struggling with, it wasn't any one thing. It was the fact that cumulatively, I was spending a lot of energy on things that didn't bring me joy, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the moment yeah. may have been just the realization, but it was the cumulative effect of, wow, right. you've been ground down by this. A leadership role means more of this and less of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it, it may not always be just a magical moment of a bad email. It may be uh, a realization right. of... A yeah. broad set of things. It's, yeah, you're totally right. It's it's not just one email, right? It is that is just you know the proverbial straw that broke the camel's right. back, right? I mean, the idea is that all this other stuff built up over time, pushed you closer, closer, closer to the line. There was that last thing that you're like, that's it, I'm done. Like I'm done. Like I'm I'm gonna look. I'm gonna take the calls. I'm gonna and and it may be six months before you leave, yep. but that's the point where you're like, that's, it's it. Like, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. And I will take the next opportunity that comes along to try to explore something new. Yeah, totally. And that's where, you know, a lot of my network knows about my uh, distaste for exit interviews. And it's mm -hmm. largely because we, we spend the time not talking about this. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of take the easy answer. Oh, tell me where you're going. What's the offer like? <laughs> um, that, that's the that's different data that needs mm -hmm. to be captured differently. But it's this: let's peel the onion and really understand, you know, hey, why is it? What were you interested in? You know, mm -hmm. why are you? Why would you even think about going somewhere else? Oh, well, why is that? You know, how did mm -hmm. that come to be? Was there a particular moment? Maybe there was, yep. but yeah. showing a little more curiosity about their story, right? Why did that person 
kind of mm-hmm. feel that way rather than data collection in that interview because it's a human made a choice um, mm-hmm. but based on you know these cumulative effects and you know perhaps a, a magic moment that did create some action well i think you know as you're well aware that most of the standard questions or answers in an exit interview make it really simple for the manager or leader or the rest of the organization to not be accountable for what caused that situation right yeah. i mean it's, it's very easy especially being in comp for somebody to be like well they got paid more okay I mean, yep. you know, don't, most I, do. I, <laughs> you know, most of the time they do. I, I, again, I always just say you better hope so, because if they got paid less, then we've really got an issue. But, you know, they, they, uh, that just makes it easy, you know, and, and I go in and I look at the term reasons in the HRIS system and stuff. And it's like better job, higher paying job, all those kind of things. And it's like, well, yeah, but I mean, they had to, they had to start looking for that. And so if they're, if they're, if, if the, the reason they left was I got passed over for a promotion and I'm really bummed about it and I went and got a bet, that job somewhere else, okay, that lines up, great. I could yep. I would buy that. But if it's really like, oh, I'm going to do this job in another organization and they're paying me more, most people don't make that decision to start moving across the line every other Friday when they get their biweekly paycheck. Like yep. they they don't usually look at their paycheck and go, I got to go make more money. I mean, maybe, yeah. but most don't. It just comes as part of the process of doing something different. Right. And so that's that's the part where we don't ask, we, we let people off the hook and we all know it. Yep. Like, I mean, we all know it. We look at each other, like the manager comes in, people in HR, people in comp, we all know what that really means. That yeah. you were a manager that didn't, connect and they don't want to be here. They don't want to work for you. They don't want to work for the team. And you know, that's, that, that's what we don't say, but we all look at each other and we go, okay, yeah, they made more money. Great. Yeah. Being no, that's, yeah. That's where I'm passionate about, you know, measuring separately. How have you felt? Um, mm-hmm. you know, how do things compare is sort of the second thing to measure. Like, so as you're making the choice, what is better or worse where you're going and what really mattered, right? So like, you know, I've taken jobs where the benefits were better, but that's not why I picked the job. Like, but it's sure. objectively true that the benefits are better, right? And you can learn from all three aspects of that. Like, mm-hmm. how do you feel about the situation you were in? How does your new opportunity compare to your old opportunity? And what really pushed you over, yeah. uh, you know, at the last moment, right? Like all three are worth understanding separately, not just... Yeah, they made more. Let's move on. <laughs> I don't. I mean, and I look, I've been in benefits and I've done that whole thing. I, nobody takes the job because the benefits were better. Like, I mean, unless it was like, hey, they like let me work, you know, part time or I, I had special. I don't know. I, I've yeah, defining benefits that. a little different way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But nobody's like, well, their 401k match had an extra percentage on it. So that's why I'm going. I mean, come on, like that might be part of the total package, but nobody's actually like leaving one job for the other because the match is slightly higher. Although I'll I'll throw a bone to my benefits friends in the audience. Like I have a family member actually who just won't leave their job in part because the 401k match is so good. Uh, It's not not quantitatively like, you know, I I tell them all the time, like if they give you a 20% raise, it kind of offsets the 401k match. You realize that, right? And then but it, it pulls them back from the line, right? The fact that, yeah. and I think it's more, it's a psychological symbol that sure. this, and, you know, this is an older person in my family. Like mm-hmm. this company cares about my financial future. And as a result, I'm good, right? Yeah. So it's it's not yeah. just that, but I do think sure. it's, you know, just to, to soften it a bit, I can understand where we wouldn't want to fully discount it, obviously. Um, well, cool. I think with, with the remaining time, I want to pivot a bit and, and let's talk about your passion for networking. Um, obviously, it's a lot of your public persona is around networking. Um, where did that come from? Like, is it the, you know, what was your moment of pushing you towards that, I guess, that, that you decided this is something you're going to pursue with a, a lot of your free time? Yeah, it, it, it came over time, but it started because I was a terrible networker and I lost my job one time. Um, I've lost my job twice, but the first time I lost my job, um, I'd been working in the same company for nine years and was of this opinion that like, Hey, you just do a good job and you're going to have a job. You know, you don't need to be ready. You don't need to be, you know, okay. Have your resume, all those things. But 
Um, I thought I didn't need a network and I hate going to networking events. It's just not my thing. I mean, I, I can tell you and because <laughs> you were there. Um, I, one time when I spoke, I spoke at this World at Work conference and I was a speaker. I like a speaker. I had a speaker name tag. And like I went to the, the reception after I spoke and I should have been able to talk to anybody. I mean, they just came out of my session, right? And I ended up just like standing in the corner, not talking to anybody. I was just like, what, what is my problem? Like, I'm just terrible at it. I just, it's, it's not comfortable. I'm not good. I don't know. I'm sure I have all sorts of like social issues to go through with my therapist. But the, the point being like, I, I, I got laid off from a job and I didn't have a network or I thought I didn't have a network. And so I was like, I got a, I, I I'm supposed to network. And I started just connecting with people I had worked with before who work in other, who worked in other places and just ta- talking to them saying like, what's going on? Hey, I'm looking for a job. This is what I'm looking for. I got some good advice from some people to help me target my search and things like that. And, and it all worked out. I got another job. It took me like three months, but I landed another job, but it all came through meeting and talking to people and having them talk to people and introduce me to people like all the way, even up to the interview when I was talking to what was going to be my future boss. And she was like, Hey, I know you've done benefits. What consultants did you work with in town? And so I told her and that person who I had a good relationship with, who knew I was looking for a job. It was almost like I kind of gave like a backdoor reference to her and before I got home, she had called that person and said, like, what do you think of Greg? And he called me up and was like, hey, she just called me and asked what I thought of you. And so I told her, you know, I think you're great. Right. So I got the job. But there was all these things along the way that it was all through networking. So I was like, that was interesting. OK. So at that point, I decided I'm never going to be under networked again. I'm going to keep networking, even though I just got a job. So I continued to just reach out to people, have conversations get in touch with people every so often, meet new people, find out what they were interested in, try to help them out and really just try to get to know people. Um, And that over time led to three more different job opportunities. And every one of them came through networking. Um, And so I tell the story, like I I got laid off a second time, but I kind of, you kind of know, like when things are not going well in the company and you get the sense that something's going to happen. So I'd already like jumped on the networking again and like reactivated. And I was already in conversations about uh, the role that I went into that I'm in now, uh, which was actually five years ago last Sunday. Um, and so I, I had already um, kicked those off and from the time when they were like, oh, yeah, hey, we're going to eliminate your position to when I was like had my offer and was starting, not not starting, but had my offer was like three weeks. So I took like turned months into weeks, basically, mm. through having my network ready to go. And so at that point, I was like, I started talking to people about it, writing about it. I started doing some group coaching programs with people, trying to help people do some of the same things I had done, listening to what their problems were and their struggles. And over time had just kind of accumulated some, some information. And that's why in 2020, uh, I wrote my book, uh, because I was, I, I didn't really, I was like, I don't want to write a networking book. Cause I mean, who wants to read a networking book, but I kind of came again, came on a concept that helped me bring it all together and tie it together and was able to, to publish that as a way of getting it out into the world more. And so since then I've been, posting pretty consistently almost daily or every weekday on, on LinkedIn about it. It's kind of become my, my niche topic, um, you know, networking for introverts. For sure. type of thing. And so just as I've done this, of course, I, I run across people who are like, oh, yeah, same thing. I feel the same way. I, you know, and, and so the more you do that, the more that you're like, oh, there's people out there that, that need to hear this. So um, have really just kind of been building more of an audience around that. Um, not really like doing, you know, a lot of coaching or anything on that, because I feel like that's a, that's a different, um, that's sort of a different thing. I'm not quite there yet. I want to get more, more people kind of in this topic and understanding this topic around it. Um, And then hopefully someday we'll get to the point where I do have, you know, coaching groups again, and I do have, you know, um, you know, maybe clients and I do have um, possibly training around it, but I I really want to make sure it's like, good and it's based on what people need and not on what 
I just yeah. think I want to tell them. So sure. really kind of, I've got my concepts around networking. I've got sort of my process that I, I show people and I talk about, but nothing that's, I could, I could make a course, right. But I don't want to just create something and like throw it out there without a lot of people who go, yeah, this is really what the problem I have. And, and, um, I, I don't want to solve something that doesn't sure. have a problem. I don't want to yeah. come up with a solution without a problem. So, yeah. so that's kind of the stuff I do. I really enjoy that topic. It's, you know, they say like find a topic that you can like talk about for hours and that's one that I can't. There's yours. mine, yeah. I, you know, with, and so we'll see where that goes. I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. It, it, it's a good, it exercises a lot of mental muscles for me to show up and be consistent and figure out how to continue to communicate with people and connect with people on this hmm. topic. Yeah. You know, one thing uh, I was actually talking to somebody about talking to you and I, that she kind of pointed out that a lot of people see networking as just about finding a job or just about finding business. Um, you know, if you're trying to sell, right. So you network to have those connections and certainly as a consultant, I understand that, but you know, I guess one thing I wanted to hear more from you about and what I have found over time, actually, that I have never networked thinking about jobs. It's been more around ideas, right? So some of my best professional contacts, it's a network that evolved just to be able to talk to somebody that I had enough trust built already mm-hmm. to bounce an idea off of, right? And they've never, you know, Brian Briscoe is, you know, co-host on this podcast yeah. at times, like yeah. that grew through networking We've never offered each other a job. We've never will because, you know, I don't think he'd want to work for me and I wouldn't want to work for him. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. but but we we but we get ideas we create, um, you know, and grow together. So I guess that's yeah. the only thing I'd add. And I, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on that. It's not just about getting something right in that regard, a job or a, or a contract. Yeah, I. I'm completely on board with that. I actually don't really like the term networking because it does imply that I'm trying to get a job or business or, you know, business cards or you help me, I'll help you. It should be mutually beneficial. But that's the thing that turns so many people off. And what I like to say better is I'm trying to grow my personal community. And those are the people that, like you say, you have connections of people in your personal community that have common interests that you can bounce ideas off of and you can talk to them about stuff. And I'm not talking about people that are like your friends that you're going to go out on weekends, right? This, we're not talking about social friends. We're talking about professional relationships with people who you admire, you respect, you trust, you know, you can talk to them, they can talk to you, but it gives you a chance to you know, learn as well and share knowledge. And, and that's something that, you know, we, we kind of discount today because we think, well, I can go search it online and come up with the answer, but it's like, you go online and you search it and you've got a bunch of information from people you don't really know. You don't know how trustworthy that information is. But if I'm talking about comp or data analytics and I, you know, come and talk to Paul about that stuff, like I know you know a thing or two about it. Like I trust your opinions and your information on it. If I reach out to, you know, some of the other people I've, I've reached out, I mean, we're, we're having a conversation today because I reached out to you about a question I had about AI and comp. Mm-hmm. I had reached out to you because we were both at a conference and, you know, I was speaking about this topic like four years ago. And we started talking and we just over time have stayed connected on LinkedIn and, and, you know, seeing each other from time to time and comment on stuff. It's like, we haven't spent tons of time hanging out together. Uh, We don't live in the same place, but you're like, you're in my personal community of people who are experts on comp and and data and stuff. And so I know I can reach out to you and we have this conversation. So if people thought of it more like that, as opposed to, oh, I, hit this person up for a job, I think it's more fulfilling. And it, it also, you know, it, it gives you some more connection um, mm. to people. And I think yeah. that, you know, we are, as a society, lacking in real connection. We've got tons of digital connection. We've got tons of stuff we post about ourselves. But that actual real connection is something that I think we're missing. And so as I talk to people about networks and things like that, I really want to, as I go forward, focus more on this idea of your personal community, who's in your personal community, why, and how do you, how do you continue to cultivate that? Yeah. 
So let, let's presume for a second that you've now inspired a listener to action. They're like, yeah, that's a great concept. Like that, that feels yeah. like I'm missing that. I want to, I want to grow it or I want to deepen my personal community. Like what's your, what are some key tips, you know, like the, the easy, fast or simple, you know, cause I know a lot of what I read from you, they're not, these aren't complex things. They're, they're small yeah. steps to yeah. help grow. So I guess what are your favorite few kind of things that yeah. you would tell somebody to go do um, to start growing their personal community? Yeah, I would. I, absolutely. They are very simple. And it's ridiculous when I tell people I feel I feel like I, I feel like an imposter telling people some of this stuff because it's like, duh, like this is like normal <laughs> human interaction. But I don't think we're normal humans anymore in the way we interact with each other. Um, I the first thing is uh, you have a ton of people, you know, in your personal community and you don't realize it. You've just lost touch with them. And, you know, we, we call these dormant ties. A lot of times they're people you worked with or maybe done business with. Um, again, I, I, I don't want to steer necessarily into family and friends, but sometimes they are. Sometimes you have extended family or you have friends that you know through your family that are that could be part of your personal community. Mm. Maybe you volunteered with them. Maybe you were in a social group with them. There's a ton of people in your life you've lost touch with. And so the first thing I would say is, who are those people that if you were to go through you know, your, your past and go, these are people I really liked and I've lost touch with. And then go reach out to them, whether it's by email or it's a social media message or it's a phone call, actually get in touch with them and say, hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. I'm kind of interested in what's going on. Sounds so simple. It's ridiculous. It's like people used to do this, but now we post things online and we all go, well, I saw their Facebook post, so I know what's going on with them. No, you don't. No, you, you don't. know the yeah. best version of what they decided to put out there. You have no idea what's going on with them. So reach out to those people and find out what's going on. And ask about them and then do two things like listen, like shut your mouth and let them talk and listen to what they're working on and what they're struggling with. And as you're listening, figure out what you can give or how you can help them. And it doesn't have to be anything big. It can be a suggestion. It can be advice. It could be like, Hey, you should read this book. It could be like, Hey, I know a person you should talk to anything like that. Like whatever you can do to help that person. And, and when you do that, they're going, you're going to become probably one of their favorite people to talk to. And they're going to want to talk to you more. And then they're going to be like, what can I do for you? And you're like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm interested in meeting this person or this person. This sounds like networking, right? So it is kind of networking there. And you, you don't mm -hmm. have to move to the, the transactional, you give me something, I give you something thing. But I think that the hardest part is people are just like, oh, why would I reach out to them? Why would I talk to them? It's like, why would you not? Like, these are people that were important to you at some point in your life. Don't you, aren't you curious what's going on with them? Look, sometimes you're going to get in touch with somebody and they're going to be like a different person than they were. And maybe you don't want them in your personal community, but you don't know until you, you talk to them. And it's, it's like, and it's so odd. I mean, I, I just go back. I have a friend from high school. We both live in Denver, right? Okay. So he, and he was my best friend in high school and seven years ago was the last time we talked to each other. And uh, there was no reason. There was no reason. There wasn't, a, there, nothing happened. Nothing bad happened. There was no fallout. There was no event. We just got busy with life. And I mm -hmm. was like, I need to reach out with him. And I was like, out to him. And he, and then I was like, that's going to be weird. Isn't he going to be like, why after all these years? And, and one day I just texted him. I was like, Hey, is this still your number? He's like, yep. I was like, how are you? He's like, great let's get together. And we got together and, and we had the greatest time and catching up and everything. And now we talk more frequently and different things going on in our lives. And, um, there was no reason to not be talking to each other other than we just didn't make the effort. So the first, that, that key thing is like who was in your life or, and, and, and in, in a professional context, what I normally tell people is you worked with a lot of people who work somewhere else. Go back through your LinkedIn to all your first degree connections, or even if they're second degree, or start with the company you worked at last and go through and see like, who are you connected to? Who did you like? Who would you like to catch up with? Send them a quick message, find out what they're doing, start that conversation. And then if you are in a place where you're looking for a new role or something, you can start asking them questions and like, who should I mean? Who do I need to know? And hey, I'm interested in this company. Do you know anybody there? You, you can kind of get there, but um People think of networking as like, I got to go meet strangers. And most of the people in our life, we didn't meet as perfect strangers. I mean, 
we met them because we were geographically close to them, meaning like we were in school with them. We were in a job with them. They were our neighbors. They were in something we were close to um, geographically or organizationally, or we got introduced by somebody we already knew. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that and you start with the people you were close to and you lost touch with, get back in touch with them. And as you talk to them, they'll probably introduce you to new people. So this, this concept of I got to go meet a stranger at a networking event, we're suddenly going to work together. It's not, not really how most people interact. So yeah. um, whether it's just growing your personal community or networking for a job, it, it usually starts with the network you already have. Yeah. Yeah. I, the perfect stranger thing was making me think because like – you know, yeah, of course, you have to meet somebody for the first time. And, and you remember the fact that I never met them before. But we should always remember there's probably something that we shared in common that created that, whether it's mutual connection, a mutual interest, a mutual company that we work for, whatever. Yep. Um, and then remembering that can make it easy to reconnect. Hey, you know, right. I, I noticed a weird behavior about myself the other day. Um, I'll look at somebody's comment because, you know, LinkedIn's magical and it'll just put somebody's comment that you haven't talked to in a mm-hmm. while. And I'll say to myself in my head, hey, I wonder what they're do- uh, what they're up to. And I wouldn't ask the question. So mm-hmm. it's like, just ask the question. Like, yeah. if you really are genuinely curious, hey, I wonder how they're doing. Just yep. ask. Yep. <laughs> I, I always liked it. Like, so I have the LinkedIn feature that allows me to see who's looked at my profile. So I'll always go look at who's looked at my profile and I'll see somebody I know that I just haven't talked to in a while. And I'll just message him and be like, hey, was thinking of you the other day. I was thinking of you because you were looking at my profile. Right. And I know you were thinking <laughs> of me too. And I just wanted to know how you were. And they're like, oh, great. I was just thinking about you too. It's like, oh, amazing how that works. But you know, <laughs> using the, the technology a little bit there to, to start the conversation. Totally. But that's, I guess that's the last thing I wanted to touch on because we'll run short on time here. But like it doesn't have to be like you have to create a new opener, right? Like there are natural, you know, make it your rhythm uh, like that. Hey, I saw you looked at it. Or, or mine is when I see somebody's name in my notifications now. Hey, yeah. your name popped up. Made me think about insert time where we had a fun laugh together. Hope mm-hmm. you're well. Would love to cre- reconnect or whatever the rest of it is. Like it doesn't have to be yeah. hard. Yeah. You know, one I've been doing on LinkedIn recently, and I try to do this once a week, is I go back through people I've worked with in the past that I really like and admire. And I go and I write them a recommendation on LinkedIn um, because mm. and, and write a sincere, you know, again, don't write a recommendation if you don't mean it. But, you know, there's plenty of people in your life who you would recommend. Go write a recommendation. And they may not see it for a few weeks or months, depending on how often they get on LinkedIn, but they're going to get a notification when they go on and it's going to be your recommendation. And they're going to be like, oh my God, thank you so much. How have you been? And you like start the conversation. Like that's a, that's a great opener to start the conversation. Mm -hmm. You've given them something, you've done something for them. They're like, oh my gosh, I would love to talk to you. It's just, there's, there's no sort of like, you don't even have to think about what am I going to write in the message? Just, just write a sincere recommendation for yeah. them. So that's, that's what I've been doing uh, recently. And people are just like, Oh my God, that was so nice. I can't believe it. Thank you so much. Um, you do that. You do that several times. Um, you're hmm. going to have that personal community come into life and plenty of people to talk to bounce ideas off of, get advice from. And then, you know, if you need it, help you out when, when that time comes. Yep. So, Greg, I know uh, you give a number of short tips and then some longer form tips, you know, to those who are interested in, in this networking space. So if somebody wants to find you and connect with those, how would you want them to do that? The best way is to follow me on LinkedIn. So if you go to LinkedIn and search Greg S. Roche, um, my name and um, or the introverted networker, anything like that, you'll find me, uh, follow me, connect with me. I mean, if you connect, just send me a message, say, I heard you on, on Paul's podcast. We'd love to connect, you know, absolutely. If you just want to follow me, that's good too. Um, and then I'll post every weekday, you know, some sort of tip thing like that and, um, leave a comment, you know, that's, that's the best thing. I, that's the sort of the best, uh, feedback for me is that people leave comments that are, questions or points of view or other things to move the conversation forward. I mean, I think of a comment on LinkedIn as like people raising their hand at the end of a of in-person mm. presentation. Like you give an in-person presentation, like raise your hand and ask a question, leave a comment. You know, the, to me, those are kind of the same, same sort of thing. So um, 
anything like that, you know, would, would love to, to chat with anybody who's got questions and, and happy to help. Yeah. Great. And I know in your, in your daily posts, there's a way for people to sign up with your, your newsletter and, and to see what yep. else you're up to. So definitely a, a yep. good place to connect with you. Yep. So, so thank you, Greg. Appreciate your time. This has been uh, a lot of fun. It's always good to connect yeah. with people in our personal community and, and hear more about, uh, about the story. So I appreciate you very yep. much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So there you go. That was a fun conversation with Greg. If you're interested in learning more about how you can think and measure attrition differently, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.novoinsights.com, and check out our solution, Novo Retain. That's a purpose-built survey to complement your exit interview strategy and even questions whether an exit interview strategy should be part of your employee departing experience. But we think using a solution like what we've built helps you learn more about why somebody was thinking about leaving what decision factors went into their choice to depart, and then how their new opportunity compares to what you're offering. And you can learn a lot about how to manage employee attrition by, by ac- asking different questions through that exit process. So if you're interested, go and check us out. As always, if you appreciated this podcast and enjoyed, uh, we'd ask you to do a couple of things. If you can go ahead and give us a rating and a comment on your favorite podcast platform, that helps other people discover us so that others can benefit from the same So once again, thanks for listening. I appreciate your time. And until next time. Has anyone looked at your exit interview data lately? Probably not. In a recent LinkedIn poll, nearly 80% of respondents said that their exit listening strategy was ineffective. So maybe it's time to try something different. Novo Retain is a purpose-built exit survey that's easy to deploy to your departing employees to learn more about why they are really leaving you. Using a third-party survey removes bias and promotes honesty and shows your departing employees that you care about their opinion. Our simple reporting tools make it easy to see trends and our analyst experience can help you generate ideas to improve retention. Find out more by going to www.novoinsights.com slash novoretain.